All right, parents, welcome back to The Journey. This is Dan Panetti. I've got Dr. Carla Gertis with us again. And uh, um, Dr. Carla. Hi there. Super simple. Um, I like it. <laughs> that, Great to be back with you. Yeah, last time we talked about um, just a lot of the stress and anxiety that our young people are going through, yeah. the role and influence of social media, mm-hmm. um, the isolation of COVID and then coming back out of that and trying to get right. back into a sense of normalcy. But what in the world does that even mean? And just losing social skills for a year-ish. Yeah. And and I think some of the complications that our kids are dealing with of what they see, the world is, I think, a little bit more confusing. Very confusing. Than, than we, a, we've obliterated I, I all norms. I know we talk about that, like, oh, it's so different in my day. But I think the reality is true. No, it's huge. They, they are having to see and wrestle with things at a much younger age mm-hmm. than we ever would have had to. Right. Dealing with their identity, gender, sexuality, right. all those things. And even if we're raising them in a Christian home and those aren't conversations they're necessarily wrestling with in our home, they see it, their friends are wrestling with it. Totally. And so just the complications of life are very difficult. So I wanted to talk to you not just about uh, what advice you would give to the students, but what advice would you give to the parents? What are the kind of things that if you were sitting down here with a parent and they said, hey, listen, my son or daughter um, wrestling with this, struggling with this, what, what do I do as a parent to help them on their particular journey? And we talked about the idea of, you know, we're not going to just grab phones and take away social media and just say, hey, I'll give this to you when you're 30. <laughs> that, that's, although um, a very tempting solution. Right, right. Yeah, we'd like to be able to do that. Yeah, it's, but It's not going to work. We don't have control. What are, so what are things that we do have control of that we can walk alongside our kids and help them navigate some of these difficult things? What would you say to the parents? Uh, there's so many hot potatoes here um, because they're hot potatoes culturally mm-hmm. and politically. Uh, I would say for parents, the first thing that we need to recognize is how powerful our presence is to our kids. How, even though they act like they don't want to be around us, how desperately they need a secure relationship with us in order to launch out in all these other threatening, scary places Mm -hmm. like peer relationships, like dating, like getting their first job, like considering college. All of that is threatening. It's new. It's they don't have security there. So they need a place where they have security. And I don't mean financial security. Of course, they need that. I'm talking about the kind of security where we feel no matter how I misbehave, I'm still valued, loved and even liked Mm -hmm. because that's the place where teens question. They'll say, yeah, I know my parents love me, but and the but always comes. Wow. And so. A sense of security that we know them well enough to say, I just love your sense of humor. Or, hey, what's that song you're listening to? Who's that group? I don't know that band. Can, I, can you turn it up? Kids never hear parents say, can you turn your music yeah, exactly. up? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> but our, our presence and our interest and, of course, then our affirmation, okay. not just when they get A's, but there, our affirmation for... Um, just they're using a ton of respect with us or with grandmother or with the clerk at the grocery store. Our noticing, mm-hmm. our noticing things about them that are admirable, that are enjoyable, that are likable, and are calling those out because we call out the negatives. 
And oftentimes, that's what teens feel like they only hear right. is our calling out the negatives. Right. So call out some positives. Call too. out like the that. positives. Yeah. Thanks for fixing me the coffee. That was so thoughtful of you. I love how considerate you are of other people. You notice when people are wanting or needing something. That is such a cool trait you have. So not just thank you for that action, but calling out that quality in mm-hmm. them. I love the way God has wired you. And even in the places of disagreement. So there are going to be kids, even in Christian homes, even in our, in our churches, in our ch- Christian schools, who are going to struggle with their sense of uh, their sexual identity, who they're attracted to, or even how they feel like God has made them and whether God somehow messed up in how he made them. That even though I'm biologically female, I don't feel like I should be female. I should be male. Things that a generation or two back, we just didn't question. But all of that's on the table now. There are no clear norms about anything anymore, at least when it comes to morality and ethics and philosophy. We still have norms when it comes to an airplane and a pilot. We don't want him showing up drunk. We expect him to know how to fly the plane. So it's not like we've obliterated all norms. We expect buildings to be built by code. We get really mad when they're not. We still expect math to work. If we get charged too much when we turn in our, when we go to a restaurant. Amen. And, I mean, so <laughs> norms are still there in all these other areas. Right. But when it comes to ethics, morality, and philosophy, there are no norms. Right. So those are going to be conversations that we need to have with our students. Yeah. As opposed to, hey, we don't talk about that. Right. Or we that's not who we are. We don't have to deal with that. Actually, it, I just read recently, um, it used to be that we would say, um, Folks with a homosexual orientation or a same-sex attraction um, might be 4 to 5% of the population. Okay. And, and those experiencing um, uh, gender dysphoria that maybe you've even begun to see signs of from early, early ages, you know, a three-year-old that constantly only wants to play with the other gender's, ty- you know, yeah. stereotypic toys. Right. Um, we used to say, okay, uh, maybe... One to three percent. I just saw a study that was saying uh, a recent study saying that those that identify with LGBT has jumped to 20 percent. It's one out of five. Right. Wow. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's not how genetics works. Right. It doesn't jump from, you know, five percent to 10 percent to 20 percent in a matter of (laughs) right in a matter of a few years that's just not how genetics work so there's an awful lot of social cultural pressure and modeling and rhetoric and and talk that all of our kids are exposed to and any place of insecurity any place of um not feeling comfortable in my skin then those questions are going to come up that's going to be on the table and not only within our kids, but kids around them label, oh, you're so-and-so. Oh, that means you are, you're non-binary. You must be bisexual. You must be. And so our kids will hear that and they will receive that. They'll, they'll experience that, whether they take it in or not. Right. But because all their sense of who they are is so fluid, many of them will be impacted by this. So we've got to be able to have some conversations, first of all, to acknowledge this is hard stuff. Mm-hmm. Our feelings are, are our feelings, and we're all over the map, and they change from day to day. And but I'm open to having conversation with you. And it, 
something else parents need to recognize is by the time kids talk to us about these topics, which are so difficult, they have already done a lot, watched lots of YouTubes. They've already talked to their peers. They may have even formed a very strong opinion or a very strong belief about who they are, what they are, or what they, how they think God made them. And so we've got to, we've got to be really careful about being reactive. Mm-hmm. We've got to develop abilities to say, well, I may or may not reach the same conclusion you do, but I want to understand how you're feeling, how you're thinking, and just kind of how you've come to all of this. Can you, can you just talk to me about it? Where we get really good at listening rather than lecturing, preaching, pulling out the scriptures, condemning. Um, it is very threatening. Yeah. It's I, very I, distressing. When you, when you said pulling out the scriptures, the first thing that jumped to my mind was James when he says, be quick to listen, yeah. slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Two that would be ears, a, one a, mouth. That would be a great reminder for parents. And, and when we talked earlier about the, the home being a safe place for young people to be able to have those conversations, if they don't feel like it's a safe place, right? They're not going to have them. Right, mom, Not dad, at home. Here's what I'm wrestling with. Here's what I'm thinking about. Here's, Absolutely not. Here's the issues that are happening at school. If they'll, I can't talk. They'll find other right, places to have those conversations. Have the conversation. So you right. want to have those conversations with you at home. Right. And it's a process. Right? It is because, absolutely a process. Just because you're talking about something Tuesday, right, it may be totally different on Thursday. Right? Or, six six or six months or from now, or two years from now, exactly. or five years from now. Um, yeah, one of my one of my favorite isms um, when I was a parent raising teenagers is I heard heard this. I think at some youth event, the speaker said, "The moment is not the outcome." Hmm. Boy, did I take that in yeah. because there are plenty of moments yes. in parenting teens that are. Not pleasant, not not fun, (laughs) very stressful, hard, and you can't see the outcome. Um, But the moment's not the outcome. And time and maturity and being slow to speak and being a safe presence and being very affirming. You know, we may not see eye to eye on this, but I love you no matter what. And um, God has created you the way he wanted you, and you are a beautiful reflection of him in your unique way. Mm-hmm. And so we're just going to walk through this. We're not quite sure how this is all going to turn out, but I love you. And that doesn't mean that we necessarily embrace every choice and every behavior. Sure. We don't in any other area of their life. Exactly. Yeah, we're parents. We're <laughs> right. their best friend. Right. That's exactly right. Yep. Be the parent, not the friend. That's an important ism, too. Yeah, yeah we can't be their buddy. Um, we do have more life experience, and we do have a responsibility from God to not only be the safe person they can talk with, but the person ultimately who says, um, I can bless and reinforce and, and pay for that, and I, if you make that choice, I can't stop you, but I'm not necessarily going to pay for that, or I'm not necessarily going to support that, or I'm not necessarily going to uh, cheer that on. And there has to be room enough in our relationship. And I think this needs to be said to a teen. We will need to grow our relationship big enough that somehow we wrestle with not always seeing eye to eye. What other kind of things do parents um, who've got a, a young person who's struggling? Uh, I know we talked about, um, you know, not, not always seeing eye to eye, but not always being negative. How do you affirm things in your young people that you see that you want to be able to promote? Yeah, I think really looking for those character traits that you see maybe in bud form. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not uh, fully blossomed, but you see budding 
um, a kid who's really good at listening and tuning into others and just affirming, hey, you have, a, you have a great way about noticing things in people. That's really a good quality. We need to pay attention to others, watch others, listen to others, and develop that into caring for others and recognizing all the variety of how God, people, God has made people. Mm-hmm. So you've got a great trait in that. I really like seeing that in you. So noticing things that are growing and affirming that trait. Again, not just thanking them for doing a favor for us, like, uh, you know, thanks for going to the gro- buy the grocery store and getting what we needed. That, we should be thankful. We should always thank a kid mm-hmm. who does the right thing or a thoughtful thing or a favor. But, but really affirming character traits and virtues that we see growing in them. You know, you really did a great job on that project. You, you prioritized your time in a way that you were able to put in good work. You didn't put it off to the last minute. Um, you were really thoughtful in how you chose your topic and how you, d- you know, I'm so proud of you. You just did a great job on that. And not just, hey, I'm so glad you got an A. But really all of the decisions and traits that went into how they did that kids really need to know that we like them and we're proud of them they they are desperate i mean if we think about it we all wanted our parents approval whether we would admit it out loud or not we wanted their blessing and their affirmation yeah i've got a good friend who talks about the role of the parent is to provide um, affirmation, attention, and affection, mm-hmm. right? the three A's. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the affection? What about showing just that love, right? Mm-hmm. Even though there are times that, uh, I know you said that kids want to know that you like them, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are times mm-hmm. when it's difficult and, and the relationship right. is strained, but how do you, right. how do you let a, a young person know, right, that you love them no matter, right, what the day looks like, right? right. That, you know, even if there's difficulties, I still love you. Yeah, um, and and sometimes, Sometimes just a gentle touch, reaching out and just touching a shoulder or touching an elbow, offering a hug if they will receive it, works wonders when mm-hmm. words might not be the thing. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I, I, I think sometimes in the teen years, uh, touch gets awkward, especially across the biologically different parent and child. Yeah. But we've got to find ways around the awkwardness because touch is so soothing it is so centering. It is a way of saying we're connected. You belong with us, and we are family. And so I just really encourage parents to, even when kids, you know, pull away, you know, just use humor with it. You know what? I'm going to be hugging you when you are 65 years old, and I'm if I'm still alive, I'm still giving you a hug. So just get used to it. You know, just be flippant and funny and lighthearted about it, not controlling about it. You know, you have to give me a hug before you can get out of this car. No, we're not going to coerce affection. Right, yeah. (laughs) We're not going to coerce affection. Right. But we are going to continue to offer it and let them know you're worth touching. You are worth touching. You are worth my noticing. You are worth my telling you how much I like you and appreciate you and how how grateful I am God picked me to be your parent. Yeah. So now this may, um, I know we only have a couple minutes left, and this may be one of those questions that I I wish I didn't ask, <laughs> um, but families can sometimes be complicated in terms of um, blended families, single mm-hmm. families, all yeah. those different things. Is there, is there something, um, and I, I know that each one could be its own episode, um, but is there something that you might tell a single parent that might be a little bit different or a blended family that might be a little bit different than just the traditional family? 
Yeah, the, I mean, that those are whole other topics. Yes. Um, so with a blended family, uh, the role of the step-parent is really to support the biologic parent and not to become the primary disciplinarian. You just don't have the the balance in the kid's bank account to do that. Maybe if you've been in their life since they were two, but many second or later marriages occur when kids are eight or 11 or 16. Mm. And you don't have that history with that kid where they know that you are for them. And so what they... What they experience is, I don't trust your investment in me, and so I can't receive this discipline with good intent. It just feels like you're mad at me, or you don't like me. So I think it's real important, first of all, that the two parents stay in alignment, and that any disagreement between them gets handled privately, so that, because... Second and later marriages bust up at a higher rate than first marriages, and it is usually around kid issues. And so it's real important not to get um, tangled up about misalignments. The alignments don't go all in the same direction. You've got biologic parent and kid with a prior alignment, and then you've got this new marriage, and you've got crisscross loyalties across the step lines, and you've got perhaps other parents that kids feel a loyalty towards. We've got to be respectful about all of that. Um, The biologic parent needs to continue to work on maintaining their relationship with their biologic children while working to grow a relationship with their stepchildren. That takes time. Nothing it's, grows it's quickly. Yeah, 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 for sure. It is complicated. But I would definitely say step parents need to focus on developing a sense of warmth and caring and liking with the kid and leave the discipline mostly. I mean, if they're the only adult on duty, yeah. well, then they still have to function like an adult. Yeah. But mostly support the biologic parent's role. Okay. What about single parents? Oh, that's a whole nother ball game. Thank you. I just, yeah. Trying to make simple n- questions for whole you. Whole nother ball game. Um, <laughs> I really encourage single parents to be part of some larger community Mm. where they are getting encouragement and support and getting replenished because they're getting depleted every single day. Usually they are wearing lots of hats. They've got to be breadwinner. They've got to be mom and dad. Um, They're the only adult in the house typically. And it's just, it is taxing. And so I think being part of a larger community to get their own needs met is super important. Good word. Uh, obviously, we can't get our needs met through our kids, and we shouldn't try. We can't nominate one of our kids to be our surrogate partner, best friend, or spouse. That's just emotionally damaging. We need other adults that are filling some of those emotional roles for us. That's good. Very good. Well, Dr. Carla, thank you for your time, for the encouragement mm. for our parents. Uh, I know our first episode was talking kind of specifically to the student. Right. This one is a little bit more for the parent. Um, and I know that you see you see both in your uh, profession. Do. So uh, hopefully if some parents feel like, you know, hey, this didn't answer all of my questions, which was it wasn't intended. Oh, to yeah. Be. We got this all nailed down <laughs> yeah, no, in 20 yeah, minutes. Just, yeah. <laughs> Listen to it again. If you didn't get it the first time, you'll get it the second time. Um, but I, I do hope some people would reach out to you. Uh, and be able to come in uh, and have this conversation with you because you've got um, great biblical wisdom and advice to be able to share with them uh, and um, years of experience, even though you started at a very, very young age. Uh, <laughs> right, this work, um, right. You've got years of experience to be able to pass along, and I know our family would benefit from it. So thanks for your time. Thank you very much. My joy to be here. <laughs>